Yeah, clap for the bumper video. Or is that for me already? Awesome. This is perfect. Okay, I'm done. Thank you. Uh, no, listen, before I get into things, I, I've been asked to give a, actually a very important announcement. Um, the people that are collecting offering each Sunday, they've asked me to ask you to please stop putting French fries in the giving boxes. Um, although they are really impressed with how you got curly fries in there without breaking them, they do need you to stop, okay? I'm just kidding. That hasn't happened. Uh, I think everybody has caught on uh, that this series we are wrapping up today, it's not about fries. I know. I hope that's not a shocker. I hope that's not like a sixth sense surprise for somebody like, what? It's been about money the whole time. The whole time, this has been about uh, money. I think most of you have caught on uh, to that. My name is John. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, and maybe you haven't been with us the past uh, few weeks. Maybe this is one of your first times here, and we are thrilled uh, that you have joined with us. So how about I do a little bit of a recap so that we're all on the same page as I uh, land this plane, as I, as I finish out uh, this uh, series. In week one, Ethan kind of taught us the why behind our given. What we, what we learned was that we are not the owners of our stuff, but we are the, does anybody know? Stewards. Yes, very good. Somewhere listening. We're the stewards. God is the one who has given us all that we have. And so it makes sense for us to listen to God's wisdom on how we handle what we have. And one of the other big ideas from that message was this idea that your heart follows your treasure. When you begin to give to something, your heart begins to orient toward that thing. You start to care about it even more. You start to get involved with it. And that's the direction it works. It doesn't work the other direction. We care about lots of things that we never felt compelled to support financially. However, when I decide to start giving to God's work in the world... My heart reorients to that in a way that causes my relationship with God to grow even deeper. In week two, Ethan got really practical. If week one was the why, then week two was the how. He began to talk to us about how the idea is uh, first you decide to give and then you give. Anybody? It's the word I already said? First. Yes, got it. Yeah, exactly. First I decide to give and then I give first. Right? It, it, on the budget, it doesn't go down there with all the stuff that is like, maybe I'll buy that game or maybe I'll buy that pair of shoes or that kind of stuff. No, no, no. It goes up there with all the really, really, really important things. That is what we decide to do. We decide to give the first portion, the first fruits is what we talked about. And, and what Ethan taught us was that we give proportionally. We give proportionally based upon what we have. That led him to talk to us about the idea of the tithe or the 10% rule. It's actually not a law. That's one of the things he taught us. It was mentioned in the Old Testament. It was a law in the Old Testament, but Jesus didn't repeat and reinstall that law for us. It is not a law. However, it is a very simple, reasonable way to think through proportional giving. One of the notes that Ethan made uh, last week that actually kind of impacted me, it was, it was very um, uh, important, I think. It, it was this idea that the people who followed the Old Testament gave 10%, and they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know how wide and how long and how high, how deep God's love is. They didn't know about this, this extravagant grace that God has in our lives. And if they give 10%, now that we know Jesus, how can we not give at least that? 
that point made an impact in my life. Maybe it did in yours as well. So in week one, we kind of got the why behind our giving. In week two, we got the how. This week, we're going to talk about the what. What is the end? Where is God taking us with this? I'm going to give it to you right off the bat, so hopefully you'll remember it, okay? This is what God is doing. God, through our giving, wants to open our eyes to God's generosity and engage our lives in God's mission for the world. Wants to open our eyes to God's generosity and wants to engage our lives in God's mission for the world. Now, when I say that God wants to open our eyes, what is kind of implied there is this idea that maybe our eyes are closed to it. Maybe we have something that is distracting us just a little bit. And you guys know what it's like to be distracted, right? You've been distracted before in your life. Let's do a little example, and you guys are actually going to help me out with this. Uh, it's like when a teacher is trying to teach about dangling participles, but the student is so distracted by, what is something a student could be distracted by? Come on. Their phone, yes, and they get in trouble for that. Did somebody say a squirrel? Okay, it can happen. If there's a window and there's a squirrel, you could get, yes, I see it. I see it. What else? Anything else? Yeah, that cute girl or that cute boy, right? Something like that. They can't, so we know what it is to be distracted. I know what it is personally when my wife is trying to get my attention and she's trying to tell me about what I need to pick up at the grocery store, right? And then she says, are you listening? And I look up from my phone because I was looking at cat memes, right? I'm like, yes, pineapples and stationery is what you said. And she says, no, I said maple syrup and confectioner's sugar. I don't know where you got pineapples. And I'm, I try to save it by saying that sounds delicious, right? We know what it is to be distracted. And in the same way, in the same way, God wants to open our eyes to his generosity and engage our hearts in God's mission for the world. But we are distracted, Jesus talks about this in uh, one of the books that we have in the Bible. A guy named Luke wrote his version of Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus' death and resurrection. And Luke includes this story where Jesus talks about that. So if you want to follow along with me, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 12. You can grab a Bible. Some of your seats have a Bible underneath them. Or open up your own or flip open your Bible app. And let's talk about Luke chapter 12. I'll set this up a little bit while you get there. So... In this section of Luke's writing, he is writing about how Jesus was giving this big teaching on what it means to partner with his mission in the world, with God's mission in the world. And so he's, he's teaching some really inspirational, some very helpful stuff. He's teaching them how to pray. He has this great line in there where he says like this really inspiring thing. If you're not for me, then you're against me, right? He's talking to people who are opposing him who are getting in his way, and he's giving actually some warnings about that. And then he's giving promises to people who are joining with him. And so it's this really, really inspiring, challenging teaching that Jesus is giving, and then all of a sudden this guy raises his hand. <laughs> oh, this poor fella. Uh, maybe I should say this rich fella, because it doesn't go so well for him. Um, read with me. Luke chapter 12, I'm going to start at verse 13. Then someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus looked at him like he had three heads. He was like, What? Have you not been listening to all I've been teaching you? That's not in the Bible. That's my just kind of paraphrase. Jesus says, Man, who appointed me to be judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, this little story that illustrates a point. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what should I do? I've got no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns i got now, and then I'm going to build some bigger ones. And there I'm going to store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life's going to be demanded from you. Then who's going to get all that you've prepared for yourself? And then Jesus tells the crowd, this is how it's going to be. For whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. A couple of notes about this story. First of all, this is not a story about Jesus teaching that it's bad to save. Actually, the Bible, a couple of different times, it commends the idea of saving and being prepared. Okay? This is also not a story about how we can't enjoy things in life. There are parts of the Bible that commend us uh, to enjoy all good things. This is a story about when we let things rob our attention and our affection for God's work in the world. We let things, possessions, gathering rob our affection for God's work in the world. And the thing specifically that Jesus talks about is money. It can be a distraction for all of us, no matter our generation. I once heard recently uh, that those in the millennial generation are building debt uh, at an unprecedented rate. And this is not necessarily a criticism because a lot of the factors are beyond their control. There's student debt and there's inflation and there's rising housing costs going on. And Generation Z is not far behind them. Money can be a huge distraction for us. For those of us in older generations, then we're not necessarily looking at now. We're thinking about later, right? We're thinking about our retirement and what are we, what are we going to do then? What are we, we're dreaming about what we might be able to have and what we might be able to do in that place. You could say that it, you know, younger generations are tempted to be really obsessed about uh, what they want to be able to do now. And older generations can be tempted to obsess about what they want to have later. And God's call to both of us is the same. Your priority is worrying about what you want to have when real treasure is prioritizing what God is doing in the world. And I mean, if I lay it out for you, it's easy for us to see. I mean, honestly, what is the better story? Is, is the better story this one where you can say, you know what? I worked hard and I stressed out and I bought and I saved. And at the end of it all, I had a bunch of stuff. Or is the better story is somewhere along the way, I decided to start giving to what God is doing in the world. And you know what I got to do because I did that? I got to send aid to hurricane and tornado victims and Ukrainian orphans uh, during the war. I got to build a a church in Ecuador and feed hundreds of kids in that same South American village. I got to build homes in my local community for people who needed it. And I got to help out with recovery ministries to addicts. I got to give food to children who needed it at the end of the week so that they would have food in their home uh, when they went home. I got to to be part of a a ministry to kids and and we baptized kids. And then we 
we, we, we helped high schoolers push back against the confusion of their culture with the truth of God's word. I got to build buildings where adults could gather for worship and in fellowship and relationships and spiritually grow. And in the process, we saved hundreds of souls. We saved marriages. We brought peace to many, many homes. Do I even have to ask what is the better story? And you might say to such a person who did all those great things, well, how'd you do all that? Did you get some great inheritance, right? Are you like Bill Gates or something? And they would say no. They would say no, just somewhere along the way. Somebody taught me that I'm not an owner. I'm a steward of what God has given me. Someone taught me to give first. And so I gave first. And because someone wiser than me taught me that, then for the few short steps that I got to walk on this earth, I got to stand on God's shoulders. I got to extend God's mercy. I got to be part of the work that God has been doing, this redemptive work in our world. God has been doing since long before I was ever here, while I was here, and will be doing long after I am gone. That is the world I want to live in. That is the work I want to participate in. That, I don't know about you, is the story that I want to tell. And listen, listen how good God is. So Jesus is giving this really challenging teaching, okay? He's given this challenging teaching about how we're tempted to focus on treasures on earth when we need to be storing up treasures in heaven. In fact, this teaching is recorded in a couple of different books of the Bible. This one that we read together just now is in Luke's version. A guy named Matthew wrote a version of, of, of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And he tells the story too. They're a little bit different, but that's not because one's wrong and one's right. It's because Jesus traveled around and taught his stuff. He was an itinerant preacher. And so sometimes he would use the same material, but he would change it up a little bit given his context, the people he was talking to. But while there are some differences in these versions, there is something that remains the same that both Matthew and Luke record. Matthew records it like this. Instead of the story about the rich fool, Matthew records Jesus just saying, you can't serve both God and stuff. And Luke tells this challenging story about the rich fool who died and his life was demanded of him and all he had was stuff. But then Jesus gets real pastoral. He kind of switches gears. And I imagine it kind of felt like Jesus was coming down to their level even. And he was looking them right in the eyes. And in both of these teachings, Jesus goes to this. Don't worry. Don't be stressed out. I think he probably just let it hang in the air a little bit when he said it. Because he knew that they were thinking, if I, if I start to give to this stuff, but I've got all these other things in my life that are causing such immense stress, this is just going to add to my stress. And, and, and Jesus says, don't worry. Look at the birds, man. They gather in abundance. Look at how beautifully the flowers are clothed, Jesus says. And I like you a whole lot more than them. 
when we start to give toward God's mission in the world, not only do we get to participate in what God is doing, which is so exciting, but also we find out that part of what God is doing is taking care of us. I don't know exactly how God works, but just, so this is just kind of my life experience. This, this is one of the things that I think goes on when we start to give. When we start to focus on God's work, we start to see how amazingly generous God is. We start to see how God truly does care about people in the midst of their need, how God really does want truth and goodness in our lives. And our confidence grows that we can depend on God, that we can trust God, not only to meet all of those needs, but to also meet our needs. This is the promise that we find in the scriptures. And we have to be careful about this promise. Ethan has mentioned this earlier in this series. We want to be careful about this, but we also want to be bold about it because it is right there in the scriptures. Uh, This promise that your needs will be met does not mean that you're going to get that yacht you've been hoping for. It may not even mean that you're going to be able to afford that streaming service that you'd love to add to your cable bill. It means that God will meet your needs. I've seen it, I've heard about it, and I've experienced it. I know people who decided to start giving in their lives, and then shortly after they started, decided to start giving, there was an unexplained, unexpected financial blessing in their lives. I can't promise that that's going to happen to everybody, but I've seen that. And we could call it coincidence, or we could say, thank you, God. But I've also seen it in other ways, in my own life. About 10 years ago, I had a child that was diagnosed with a chronic illness. And shortly after that, like, like the next day, we found out that our insurance didn't cover his medical supplies. And, and so we were looking at literally thousands of dollars per month in medical bills. And we were a little bit nervous about that. Uh, we were freaking out about that. And we had no clue how we were going to make this work. But then God started doing amazing things through God's church. Some people in the medical community who went to church with us started calling us and helping us navigate all the different things with, with you know, health providers and insurance companies. Uh, we have people in the church who would store up boxes of snacks meant for a kid like mine, and they would just drop them off on our porch so that we had them uh, for him. My wife, my wife, man, she was, she was given by God immense immense reservoirs of endurance and patience as she spent hours on the phone, like I said, with all of the different organizations she had to talk to. God was so good to meet our needs. And sometimes it looks like abundance, and sometimes it looks like need. But God meets it. It's why the uh, missionary Paul, who wrote many of the letters in our Bible, it's why, why one time he wrote, I have known plenty and I have known want, but I am content in all circumstances. Paul knew what I want us to know in this room. That when we try to start orienting our heart toward God. When, when we start to give and God starts to orient our heart toward him, when we, he, he starts to take care of us in different ways, in ways that we could never expect. 
we realize that part of what God is doing in the world is taking care of us. So it begs the question, right? It begs the question. So if this is true, I want to be part of this. What is the best way for me to start storing up treasure in heaven? Do I just start researching all the great ministries out there and give away? Uh, Do I just follow my gut? Do I just kind of have a thing that I, I just feel good about and I start giving to that? Some do that. You can do that. But what I would say is it's not best. I'm going to say clearly what I believe to be biblical and what I believe to be best. The best practice to store treasure in heaven is to support your local church. The best practice to store treasure in heaven is to support your local church. It's the biggest bang for your buck. It does the most great things, not only in your community, uh, but also in the world. I say give the first and the biggest portion of your giving to your local uh, church. This may be the most, the bluntest thing that we have said about giving to First Christian Church during this series, but we believe it to be biblical and we believe it to be best. I was, I was kind of pitching this part of my sermon to Ethan, and Ethan said, yeah, and you can tell him this. And I tell you that to let you know, Ethan told me to say this, okay? So if any of the elders out there, it was Ethan's idea for me to say this next part. But he said, yeah, you tell him that. In fact, tell him this. If people just think you're saying that so that we can get our hands on their money, tell them to just find some other local church that they love and give to them. Ethan said that, not me, but I believe it because it's true. The Lord's plan for the mission of the world is through the local church, and there's no greater gift that you can give than to support your local church. Church, we believe it to be biblical and we believe it to be best. I'm going to rattle through some scriptures that kind of talk about why we think this to be the case. And so just kind of hold on for a second because we're going to go through these pretty quickly, right? Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Acts gives us some of the earliest practices of the church. And it, it reads like this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were, was their own, but they shared everything they had. They learned that they weren't owners, but they were stewards, right? Uh, with, great, um, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, uh, all there, that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money, listen to this, from the cells to put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Again, Acts kind of gives us the earliest practices of the church. The gifts were simply given for the church leader's discretion. And this happens more than just this once in the scriptures. This happens over and over again. It was a consistent Practice. They knew that there was wisdom in pooling their resources and setting aside capable leaders to use discernment in dispersing it. I'm going to jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This is a letter that the great missionary Paul is writing to a city, a church in Corinth. Uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So Paul told this to many different churches. On the first day of the week, uh, first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, proportional given, right? We've already learned about that. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give, catch this, letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, uh, they will accompany me. 
as they broadened their support from just their local community, they would take up what we would call special offerings to give to people. But I think it's important to note that even those special offerings that were going to missionaries and different people, it was funneled through the church because they knew there was wisdom in pooling their resources. And remember that letters of approval that Paul writes about? They vetted and they discerned the best places to put that money. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Timothy was a guy that Paul was mentoring in ministry. And so he wrote to him a few letters. And we have a couple of them collected for us in the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 17. The elders, those are the overseers, who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. Which is just a way to say you need to pay them well. Um, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So when Paul is mentoring this young minister on how to, uh, the funds of the church should be focused, he talks about helping widows, helping those in need, and then paying those who direct the affairs of the church. Again, this is something that is repeated within the scriptures. The point I want you to catch from all this is that giving to the local body, uh, the local church, was not a thing that the church did. It was the thing that the church did. It was the priority with their giving. I want to explain just a little bit something that is behind this, kind of a why. And so now you are getting ready to experience some amazing graphics that I have put together personally. So when you see these, you're probably going to want me to do some art for your house, and I will consider it, all right? So let me just put up a couple of images here for you to look at. The first image that we want to put up here on the screen is this is the biblical practice. Isn't it great, right? Really good stuff. There's the little person, and they're super, super happy to give their money. They're old school. They're not doing it on an app. They're giving like paper something, right? They're giving it to a building that looks mysteriously like this church, right? They've got the Hershey Kiss top and the little cross on top. Yes, they're giving it to the church, and then the church is dispensing this out for both local ministry and then ministry abroad, all throughout the word to support what God's people are doing. But we're tempted to do something differently with our giving. Someone can be tempted to say, you know what, I think the church is probably fine, and so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to not give to the church, and I'm going to kind of divert the the money from that, and I want to give to something else because it's great things that they're doing. They're feeding some hungry children, or they're building homes, or they're they're helping uh, war victims or or hurricane victims, and, and and I get that. I get that tug on your heart. But over time, what that means is if people start doing that, the logical end is that the church then gets smaller, right? And, and if we push that to kind of logical conclusions, if that's what everybody does, then eventually the church just kind of vanishes. Now, we'll keep all of these great things that are going on in the world, and they'll last maybe for a season. Because if local churches throughout the world are not teaching the next generation to give— if they're not raising up the next leaders of these organizations, because the leaders of those organizations, I guarantee you, had a church pouring into them and teaching them about this. If they aren't supplying them with volunteers and resources, well then maybe they're fine at first, but over time, over generations, they'll start to weaken as well. They may even completely fall from the face of the earth and we're seeing a world with very little organized ministry going on. But however, if we go back to the biblical practice of giving to the church and the church then giving to the world. I mean, just for an example, 
If some Thanos-type character got his hands on the stones and snapped his fingers and made all of the great ministries of the world, the compassionate ministries and the missionaries of the world, disappear, but we kept the local church, the local church would build all of those things back because that's what the local church does. That's what the local church did. But if we take the church from the face of the earth, those ministries can't build the local church back. They've got their own mission to do. They are busy. So let's give to the local church and let's keep fueling the greatest things in the world. When we give the biblical way, at least three things happen. First of all, we ensure the continued influence of the church where we live, that people will grow and learn to give and learn to support and do wonderful ministry throughout the world. Secondly, the church will fuel the greatest things in the world. And thirdly, don't skip this one. God will be sure to get the glory. Not any one individual. It's easy for an individual to get the glory when they just give straight to a thing. You might get your name on a building. You might get a banquet held in your honor. Those aren't bad things. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking any of those things because a lot of times when people get their names on buildings and banquets in their honor, they have given tremendous, wonderful gifts. But what I can guarantee you is this. If the gift comes from the church, the only one getting the glory is God. And that is a good thing. For all of these reasons... We say the best way to engage God, the best way to store up treasure in heaven is to engage what God is doing in the world, to give to the local church. Now, we have an incredible opportunity right here in this local church because First Christian Church does really tremendous stuff with the money that you give. And, you know, I just want to speak from a personal experience here. On Wednesday nights, when I drive my daughter over to the Mount Castle Center, where we have our FCC students' ministries, and I get to let her out of the car, and she hugs one of her buddies in the parking lot, and they go running off to a, to a big building where they're going to worship together, and they're going to have small group together, and somebody's going to pour into her life God's truth. I'm super thankful. And when I get to look up here on the stage, and I get to see my son playing guitar, a guitar, by the way, that needed some repairs, and our church budget helped fix, as they do with many of the instruments on our stage, to let him have that opportunity, I'm super thankful. And when my college son goes to his small group and he's able to read through a booklet that was created and printed and produced by this church, I am super thankful with what we do at this church. And there's a thousand other stories like this. I know you all are thankful, not only for FCC Kids and Kid Venture and all that goes on there, but also for adult groups, whether it's a Bible study or a grief share, working through their pain with God's mercy and wisdom in their lives, or whether it's a marriage group seeking to strengthen marriages. There's so many different ways that the community and the world and we are blessed through the gifts given here. And, and I haven't even scratched the surface even boring things that you might not find that interesting, like facilities and utilities, right? Like, who wants to pay the gas and electric bill? But here's the thing. That's some of the most mission-critical stuff. I'm glad we have these walls to worship in. I'm glad we have comfy seats to sit in and learn. I'm glad it's not 40 degrees in here, right? I'm glad there's lights to where I can see my friends, I'm glad we have this space where we can do this thing that we 
call church because the greatest things are fueled for the church. And I've only mentioned the ones here at 200 East Mount Castle Road. There are things going on all over this community from uh, ministry to those in addiction like Families Free to the West Main Homeless Ministry. I could go on and on on the way that this church is pouring outside of its walls. When you combine what we plan to give with what you give in special offerings, over 21% of the money we get, we just give away pouring into ministries into this world. We, you, we double tithe out into the world. That's why I say this is not only biblical, but this is the best gifts that we can give. It is incredible what happens when we pool our resources It is incredible because I work here, I also know something else to be true. There are creative, powerful, mission-critical ideas that get brought before staff and sometimes leadership that we can't do because of insufficient funds. We do incredible things, but we can do more. When we begin to store up treasure in heaven when we begin to engage God's work in the world by giving to the local church, the impact just grows and grows. I'm grateful I get to work at a church like this. I'm grateful I get to give to a church that does that with the money. Remember earlier in the sermon where I was talking about the two stories and what's the better story? The one that I mentioned that did all of those amazing things, that's all stuff that First Christian Church does with the money that you give. When we realize that we're not owners but we're stewards and we decide to give first and our hearts start to get oriented towards God's mission and what God is doing in the world, you know what God does? God opens our eyes to his generosity and engages our lives in God's mission for the world. And you can trust that part of what God is doing is taking care of you. You can fuel the greatest things in the world by giving to the local church. These money series, they're always challenging and they're always inspiring. But if you're like me, they're also always aspirational. God is still doing a work even in my own heart to grow my trust and dependence on God that I may give even more. I pray that through this series that has been laid on your heart as well. Maybe there's another work of God that's been laying on your heart. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you've been hearing about how loving this God is, how this God wrapped himself in flesh and dwelt among us and went to the cross to die for your sin and then rose from the dead to call you to a new life. And maybe that's the story you want to respond to today or maybe you just want to join in membership with this church. I'm going to be standing over here at the end of my message today, and I would love the opportunity to talk with you about any of those decisions. Let me say a prayer for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for the gifts that you pour into your, our lives. And it is my prayer that you move in our hearts to just continue to orient us toward your work and toward your love and toward your mercy that you pour so generously into us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.